Good morning, 360 family. I tell you, the more uh, you, uh, the older you get, the more you realize how much you need God. And the more you need God, the more you realize that you need a Savior, and you need to, uh, and we, the more we need a Savior, the more we're so thankful that Christ has risen from the dead. And the more you realize that Christ has risen from the dead, the older you get, the more you can't wait for him to come back. And so we're, we're, we're thankful today of being led in worship by our, by our worship leaders here, and, uh, and thank you uh, again for coming out this morning. My name is Steve McCoy. I'm the lead pastor here at 360, if we haven't had a chance to meet, and uh, so grateful that you're here. I kind of chuckled this morning when our executive pastor, Eric, said thank you for braving the, the weather, uh, because I have a dozen friends from Pennsylvania here this morning. So forgive us for, uh, for calling this weather to be braved. Uh, they told us that when they get back, the weather is seven degrees, so uh, I'm sure this is a hot day. They're the people in the back wearing shorts and, uh, uh, and uh, muscle shirts. Uh, I do want to introduce my friends from Pennsylvania. I don't do this very often, but uh, just because they have a special place in the heart of our church. Uh, as you know, we do have one-to-one discipleship tools. They have gone uh, around this country, around the world, now in 15 languages being translated. And so uh, this, these guys were the very first outside of our church to engage in our discipleship tools. Uh, they're they're uh, uh, from the Churches of God up in Pen- the Pennsylvania, New York, Maryland, North Carolina, Virginia area. And uh, they are multipliers by, by nature. They are, they, uh, are, there are some church planters here this morning. Uh, uh, it's, their leaders, Chuck Frank uh, is one of their leaders, Rich Thornton, uh, some pastors in, in the group. And uh, they have about a half a dozen churches using the tools and about 70 people in one-to-one discipleship. And so uh, I just want to say we had dinner uh, last night and how proud I am of you guys and how thankful we are. They're in the midst of um, an eight to nine month uh, process with Exponential. You've heard me talk about Exponential. And uh, they have three locations throughout the year that they have these living experiences that they call them. They come together with others, uh, about 25 altogether, uh, in different places in the country. One was Nashville, one's Tampa, and then California. So this week happens to be their, their Tampa, their meeting. And so they came a little early to spend time with us. So would you give them a, a 360 uh, welcome? We're, we're so glad you're here this morning. We've been in a conversation about taking inventory because it is the time of year. I remind you, at the front of the year, we're still in January, where it is natural for us to look at ourselves, to look at the shelves of our lives and say, hey, is there something that we would like to add to those shelves? Is there, is there a deficit in our life? Is God examining us? Because throughout the scripture, as we've seen over the last four or five weeks, is that we are invited to search ourselves We're invited to ask God to search us, search me, O God. We looked at that last week, and uh, this is healthy. It's healthy for a business, it's healthy for a family, it's healthy for an organization, it's healthy for uh, us as, as people. It's healthy for us as a church to take inventory before we launch into the to new year. And I hope, uh, of course, as always, that as we take this inventory, there are moments that you have with God that you say, hey, I want to make an agreement. I want to make a commitment. I, this is not just, yeah, I probably should do that. But when we're taking inventory, hopefully there's some seismic shifts, small or large, inside that you say, man, I really want to commit to, to doing that more or less, whatever it might be. It's very personal in a sense. But today is a very collective uh, a conversation that we're going to have. You kind of see the list of, of things that we've been talking about. And today we talk about a word that I literally have wrestled with all week. Uh, and I even changed the, the title of our conversation because sometimes you say a word and we've used it so often 
that we have an immediate concept of what that means. The word is community. I, I actually wish that there was a, a different word only because we have used it and, 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 as, and we kind of sometimes have a preconceived idea that some people may think, hey, community is just being friendly with one another. A community is you know, showing up uh, like we've done this morning. But there is such a, a much a, of a deeper level of community and hopefully we can, we can uh, unwrap that this morning and perhaps redefine it if you have a, a more uh, standard understanding of what community is. So we begin to look at the Bible, and there are times I think it's very important to just stand back from a distance and look at the overall patterns of, of the Bible and how God moves. And it's interesting that you see patterns over and over and over that when God moves from the first page of the Bible to the last page of the Bible... Even though what may come to mind is individuals in the Bible like Moses and David and Deborah and Lydia and Paul and those, those names that kind of you know, float to the top, but in all of those intersections and interactions with, with God, he is always moving in community. That is, in a group of people. So you cannot take any one individual in the Bible and remove them from the story in which they are living, and that story always involves other people. In other words, being a God follower is not a solo commando uh, experience. In other words, it involves other people. On some days, I'm like, I regret that plan, as I'm sure you do. Being around other people is not easy. Having community is not easy. And when you look at any of the people I've just named and everyone else in the Bible, their greatest angst came from people. You never see in the Bible that when Moses is climbing the mountain or Abraham's climbing the mountain that they're complaining about the mountain. Or when they're riding a mule, they're complaining about the mule. it, It is always the angst and the difficulty always comes from other people. And so when we look at community, we understand that this is not easy, and it shouldn't be, unless you have an idea of what community is just showing up like we did today, and this is community. Community means that we're going to dig in deep with one another on a long-term journey together. That's community. It is not just showing up once in a while. Let me give you an example. Today, this afternoon, if you're a football fan, today is the big game, is it not? Oh, oh, it's next Sunday. Oh, okay. No, I was, oh, you thought, I was talking about the Pro Bowl. And we all laugh, right? (laughs) I think the ratings are now lower than the six o'clock news for the Pro Bowl. Here's the difference between the Pro Bowl and the Super Bowl. The Pro Bowl is, if you don't know football, you know, you got two kind of divisions in, in, in the National Football League. You got the AFC, the American Football League, and the or conference, and you got the NFC, right? And I know you're shocked that I know this much about sports. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Google. Uh, and so you, you have these two, th- these two uh, you know, divisions here in, in the NFL, and they show up on this, pro- they kind of pick the best you know, of the best you know, for Pro Bowl, and they show up, and, and one's like the AFC, they're all wearing the same jersey, but they got a different helmet on. They're wearing their own team helmet. And then the other, same thing, they got a different color j- uh, jersey, but the, you know, they're wearing their team helmet. And it just seems like nobody's taking it seriously. Have you ever watched the Pro Bowl? It's, you know, they might as well be in like flag football or touch football because, you know, no one wants to get hurt. And, and, and they're like high-fiving, you know, the other team. You never see that. As opposed to Super Bowl, they've been working hard since spring training and probably all before spring training. They have met in so many conference rooms, watching post games, how they messed it up the last week, what they did last week, who they're going to play this coming week. They're looking at the different offenses and defenses of the upcoming team. You can rest assured that, the, uh, that uh, uh, let's see who's playing the Super Bowl, uh, the uh, who? The Rams and the Patriots. Yeah, Patriots. Yeah, sorry. You know I'm a Patriots fan. So uh, yeah, I know. Well, I just lost half the crowd there or more. So anyway, you have, the, you have the Rams and the Champs coming up, uh, the uh, Pats coming up. I do take advantage of my position behind the microphone once in a while. 
You can rest assured that the Rams, their leaders, the defense coordinators, they're, they're, they're looking at the, uh, the offense and the defense of their opponent coming up and vice versa. And they have been in a long haul for a long time to receive that trophy, both teams. And they have fought together. This is the big difference between the Super Bowl and the Pro Bowl. The Pro Bowl, they, they've showed up maybe for a couple rehearsals and probably had lunch together, both teams together. This is the difference, if you see this, it's such a vivid image of the difference between true community, Super Bowl, one team working together long term, uh, just to the knuckle-blistered, calloused, man, we're going to fight for the trophy, and the Pro Bowl, we're going to show up and we're going to do touch football. You see the difference? So it's super interesting in the, in, in, the, in the Bible when you see the similarities between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so when you look at the Old Testament, we think, hey, this is, you know, the focus team was the nation of Israel. And when you look in the, in the New Testament, the focus team was local churches, where the, you know, the church at large was spoken about, but the letters in the New Testament were written to the church at Corinth, a specific church, because that's where it becomes difficult. It's not the church at large. I have no problem with, with Christians who are living in Vietnam this morning or Christians who are living in Beirut this morning. It's here in our local church that conflict arises, and that's where it becomes challenging. What's super interesting is those in the New Testament, when they refer to Israel in the Old Testament, they refer to it in the Greek word as the ekklesia, which is the word for church in the New Testament. Watch this. Stephen is giving his speech in Acts chapter 7. And he's explaining Moses, and I've just given you an excerpt from uh, Acts chapter three, 7 and verse 37. And Stephen says, this is Moses. He's explaining who he is who was in the church in the wilderness. That's the King James Version. They often sometimes keep more of the original verbiage, the, the church, or in the, in the Greek, it's saying the ecclesia. Sometimes some versions will say the congregation, same word, the church that was in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai. In other words, God is moving in long-term relationships, in groups, in community, and that's where it becomes difficult. So the question for us today is to take inventory as we come into the year, how is community for you and your local church? Now, some of you are new. Some of you are moving from a different city, maybe a different church. Maybe this is, you're, you're coming to church. It's kind of a new experience. And, and so we come from many different angles. We understand that. But I do believe that our community in one place, whether we're the nation of Israel tracking all together, nobody's moving, or a church at Corinth, or a church in Sarasota, where we're tracking together, staying together, and really uh, you know, going through spring training and, and having bloody knuckles and really going long-term as the same group of people will provide more value and meaning to your life than you might think. Here's... The, here's Here's the deal. When we are together for a long amount of time, it's only then that we begin to rub each other the wrong way. And when we begin to rub each other the wrong way, it's only then, listen carefully, it's only then that we get to exercise the things that Christ has asked us to do. How do we bear with one another if we don't know each other? How do we forgive one another if we don't know each other? How do we blow it and mend the fence? How do we work all these things out as opposed to running? There was nowhere to run in the church in the wilderness in the Old Testament. And so today, I want to look at this community called the church in the wilderness. That's Israel and the Old Testament. And learn a few things that might be challenging. In other words, let's put it right on the table. Why is it difficult to be in one place in one time, especially in our culture? So we find ourselves this morning, I'm going to park, by the way, in Joshua chapter 14. If you have your Bible with you, you, you might want to open there. Um, I'm, I am going to hover right in that passage, Joshua chapter 14. You can have, uh, maybe you got a Bible uh, app on your phone or your device. Otherwise, we'll have the Bible verses up on the, on the scripture. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, you can follow right along. And so uh, before we get there, as you're turning to Joshua 14, let me set up Joshua 14 for you in the context of what's going on. 
There was a defining moment in the life of the church in the wilderness. I'm referring to the church in the wilderness now as the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. Are you tracking? Are you with me? So the church in the wilderness, that was the community that traveled for a long time. There was a defining point. Before they started wandering around in the wilderness for four decades, there was a defining moment. God had come to the leader, Moses, and he said, I want you to pick someone from each of the tribes. There were 12 tribes, so 12 men. I want you to go over to the promised land. They were not in the promised land at the time. They were coming out of Egypt. I want you to go to the promised land, and I want you to do kind of a, uh, a CIA uh, uh, experience, you know, uh, excursion. Go over there, and this is the land that I am going to give to you. There was no... There was no question as to whether that was going to happen. Uh, the, the request was not, hey, go over and see if you can make it, see if this is a good land. If it's not, we'll pick somewhere else. I'll get somewhere else. No, this is the land, God said, that I'm going to give to you. So I want you to go over. I want you to scope it out. I want you to look at the produce, the agriculture. I want you to look at the people. I want you to, you know, are there, you know, uh, forts and, you know, castles and, you know, strategize so you can come back and know what you're up against. But there's no question as to whether or not we're going. It's, it's crystal clear. So as you, if you know the story, he sent the 12 guys over, and then uh, the majority of them came back, or all of them came back and said, hey, it's, it's pretty awesome. I mean, there's, there's the, the, the fruit. Uh, they are, uh, you know, I don't know if they had GMOs back then, but, you know, that was, uh, it, was, it looked pretty good. It was plumper than anything else they saw, the, you know, the grapes and all that, and the, they were like, but there were 10 of them, as you might remember, that said, man, we are, we are like going to get just crushed, there is no way. I mean, these guys are like Goliath. These guys are like Tom Brady. I'm sorry, I slipped it in again. I just, um, yeah, sorry. There it is again. No, I promise. That was the last one. Maybe. Um, so uh, we're, just, we're just gonna get crushed, man. There's no way. The, the, and, and then they freaked everybody out. The community was freaked out because of these 10 guys. And then there was one guy, and often it's one guy or one, one woman that, that in culture stands up and says, wait a minute, this is not the way it's going to roll out because God told us something different. Before we get to Joshua chapter 14, I just want to show you that this, in this moment, Numbers chapter 13, verse 30, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take position, possession of the land for we can certainly do it, of course, with the help of God, if you keep reading the story. There was no question in his mind. He and his comrade Joshua were, were told, man, they said, hey, this is not the right message that's being sent here. So what happened in that moment is that they were promised a particular plot of land in the promised land because they were courageous enough and committed enough to the community and the message that God had given to them, okay? Now we go to Joshua chapter 14. Um, there is a, a recipe for us as human beings. If you said physically, what do we need? We need water, we need air, we need food. There are certain things like that. When it comes to our inner self, there, I'm, there, there are some things we, that we need that are essential. And sometimes culture tends to rob these things without us even knowing it. This week I was listening to an interview by a guy named John Mark Comer. It's, uh, it's, uh, um, Clay is one of his favorite pastors. He uh, is always sharing messages from him. And there was an interview with an Australian guy. And in, in this interview, I'm going to put up a visual here. There are three things that human beings need, meaning, community, and freedom. All of us need purpose in our life or else we'll just wither up and die. We need to know we're going from A to B. Second of all, like we're talking about this morning, we need community. Third of all, we need freedom that God has created us to have a, a, a choice to, to be free. In our culture, wherever we live, sometimes these are more than others. To make a, to make a long interview short with this guy, here's his proposal, and I think he's right. In America, our freedom is very, very high. 
In other words, I can move where I want to move. I can pick up and go to Seattle tomorrow. I can move to Maine tomorrow. In other words, it's not like North Korea or, or Cuba where I can't get out. There's certain countries that you know, you, you, your freedom is very limited. I can, I can go to Amazon. I can get the Kindle version. I can get the used version. I can get the softback version. I can get the hardback version. I can get the, the original. I can get the, the revised version. And, uh, and all this is uh, supported by, you know, a, a zillion people who put all the stars of having the freedom to tell what they thought of the book. We live in a free society. The problem is that because we're so free and have so many choices, other things begin to diminish. And so this is, this is sometimes the look of the complexion of America. We have so much freedom and so many choices that sometimes community is diminished and meaning is even diminished more. Why is it that when we have so many choices that meaning begins to dissipate? Why does it begin to diminish? Why does community begin to diminish? So um, when you look at community, so last, uh, last week I was out of the country, and I was in a country where I was told, I, I began to talk about you know, the importance of relationships and getting deeper relationships, and wherever I go, there's this thing that people tell me, they come to me individually and almost secretly to tell me about the men in their culture, and that wherever I am, it doesn't matter wherever I am, they say, you know, the men in this culture, they don't open up. And I say, you know what? It's the same where I come from. In America, it's the exact same. We just have different reasons. But the reason that the, the men in this country didn't open up is that, watch this, 88% of the children born in this country, in, in the country that I was in, were born out of wedlock. 88%. That's nearly everyone. Because there, there's choices. They're free. I can do that if I want to. But here's where it has wrecked the community of the home. The father never stays around. So these young boys, these young men drew, grew up with no father. They grew up with no, no male figure in their life. And so they had to kind of create their own bravura on their own. And, 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 and because of that, to open up to another man because there was no father to open up to is a, is a collision course. So when I go into a culture like that, I'm looking for a Caleb. I'm looking for someone who would say, let's silence the wreckage of what we have experienced. This is a leader. These are cultural changers. And I believe the same thing is true in our churches. We have so many choices that it is eating into the uh, ability for us to have uh, uh, community. And so there are some things that I believe that get in the way of the, com uh, that, that if we could strengthen, then we could say, man, we could actually have a shot at a deeper community. Let me give you a few this morning. Here's the first one, constraint. In order to have healthy community, it could be with you and your wife, it could be you and your business, it could be you and your neighborhood, but to today I'm speaking specifically of a local church. Let's, let's say you know, the, the church at 360. In order for us to have truly healthy community, we have to have constraint because we have so many choices that inadvertently, as Americans, I kind of want this, and a little of this, and a little of this, and a little of this. In a community, we have to constrain what we always want ourselves. Does this make sense? My boys serve uh, here in our church. Uh, my youngest boy serves two services in the kids' department. My, uh, my older one attends uh, one and then serves one and do does that. So as a little you know, uh, uh, thank you at the end of every Sunday, we go across the street to the gas station, and they get to pick their bag of chips, uh, and uh, the small size. Don't get carried away. <laughs> Last week, one of my sons was not there, and so I'm standing in the store. I'm texting him, what kind of chips do you want? And so he said, do you mind taking a picture and sending it to me? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so listen, I'm in a relatively small gas station. I'm taking a picture of one quarter of the chip section. I brought, I brought the picture just to show you. This is, this is the picture uh, that is not the chip section right there. Do we have a picture of the chip section? Is there any picture? No picture of the chip section. Okay. It's such a cool picture. You should have seen it. Uh, 
It's amazing when you stand in front of a section, whether it's toothpaste, cereal, uh, chips, or whatever it might be, where it's absolutely overwhelming the choices that we have. When Joshua and Caleb went into the country, they had as many choices as anybody else. But they valued the community that they constrained their own wishes and their convictions were God's convictions. In a marriage, there, if there is no constraining of what you want all the time, the marriage will hit the rocks. In a community, if we don't constrain what we want all the time, then the community will be in disarray. It makes sense to your inner person, I can tell, just from, the, from looking at you this morning. Why? Because we're human beings, and we know we live in a, in a place of choice. So, Joshua 14. This truly is one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. This is Joshua 45 years later. He has hung with it. He went through spring training. Or Caleb, sorry. This is Caleb and Joshua. This is, they've hung with it, spring training. They've, they've been in the red zone. They have gone through 45 years. And if you know of anything about the church in the wilderness, the nation of Israel, the community that traveled, the migrant community that moved in really difficult situations through the wilderness for, over, for four decades, this guy hung with it all. There were only two players that made it through, Joshua and Caleb, by God's design and God's judgment of what happened on that day uh, when they sent, sent the spies. So here we are in Joshua chapter 14 and verse 7. Caleb is now coming to Joshua, and he said, do you remember over four decades ago when, Josh, when Moses promised to us that plot of land? We've now fought when they got into, I mean, they were griping all around, you know, in the wilderness, and then they had to fight once they crossed the river and got into the promised land, so it has been difficult. Watch what Joshua says in verse 7. He says to Joshua, he's, Caleb, Caleb is now speaking to Joshua, and he says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea, that's where the spies, uh, that's the incident where the spies happened, Kadesh Barnea, to explore the land, the promised land, where they, they came back from. And he says this, and I brought him back a report according to my constraints, according to my convictions. I had convictions that God was going to move our community from A to B, and no matter how big the people were, how big the forts were, how big the artillery was over there in the enemy territory at the time, I had a constraint that I was not going to wreck the community by coming in with my opinion and, and causing disarray. But I had convictions that God told us we're going to make it, and I'm going to constrain all my fear, I'm going to constrain all my choices, all my options. And I'm going to say, we can, we can make it. That's what he's saying. And I brought back to Moses a report according to my convictions, my constraints. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever. Because you have followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Listen, in our culture, it takes a constraint of time to be part of a community. If we think my time is my own, I can do with it whatever I want, then community will, that, that cylinder that we saw, community, will diminish. I, this is my money. I can do whatever I want with my money. I'm going to spend it all for myself. Community requires that we all pitch in. And if I exercise that, I'm gonna, if I exercise constraint, like, hey, I'm gonna only spend so much for myself, I'm also gonna contribute to the community. I have opinions like you have opinions. You know, you may, you may like the chairs, may not like the chairs. You may like the carpet, may not like the carpet. Yeah, you, you may, it doesn't, yeah. so we constrain those things for the sake of community. And when we're willing to constrain, it, it all of a sudden, Community have, has a chance. Does that mean you can't have a, 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 an opinion? Yeah, that's what it means. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> of course not. But we put it, I, I, don't get on, I, I don't get my way all the time in my household, do you? 
Someone laughed in the back. Who's that? <laughs> cool. You're in big trouble after the church service, I'm just telling you. <laughs> John Mark Homer says this, community for it to flourish needs a high level of commitment and commitment is a form of constraint. Here's another thing that's super difficult, endurance. Not only do we constrain what we want all the time, we have to constrain our time, we have to constrain our resources to, in order to, to contribute to the, to the community, but it's also an enduring thing. In other words, that's the part that's, you know, when you've offended me, I've offended you, that somehow we push through it rather than run from it. I spoke to several pastors last night. They said, hey, what are you talking about today? And kind of shared with them. And I said to them something I already knew what the answer is. I said, you know, as a, as a pastor and a leader of communities, it's tough, isn't it, that we live in a turnstile culture? It's one of the toughest things, not only personally. You know, we're human beings like anybody else to see people leaving and going and leaving and, going and coming and going and all that. You know, we're, we're not robots. But more than that, it's a kingdom thing that we see this, the, the fluctuation you know, outside of heresy and immorality and financial, you know, mishandling and all that stuff, we see a, this, the, a fluctuation so often that, man, just think about if the Rams were changing personnel every week. Okay, we got to teach you the new place. We got to teach you the new place. You know, and, and people are coming and going, man, we had a quarterback, but he, you know, he, he thought the, the uniform was kind of itchy, so, uh, he, you know, he left. He, he and the, uh, he and the uh, wide receiver, you know, they, they kind of got in a conflict. You know, you see the t sometimes on the team, I love those shots on the sideline, you know, where somebody's messed up a play and, the, you know, the quarterback's like, what are you doing? You know, like, and, you know, if that were the church, like, well, I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm not finishing the second half. That's it. That's the last time you're going to yell at me. <laughs> That's not how they win the game. If they get into it and one person's angular and the other person's angular and they walk and for me it's like awesome. You know, I was in a, I was in a meeting just uh, recently and like, you know, we were kind of going back and like, you know, then someone said, hey, I hope this doesn't damage our friendship. I'm like, this deepens our friendship. Our culture has taught us that when we have just a little bit of bump in the parking lot, we hit the road. What the, what the Bible says is, you're going to hit the... I say we don't even have a good friendship unless we've bumped each other. We haven't gotten close enough. We're still on a congenial level if we're just, hey, how's it going? Pretty good. How about you? Pretty good. How's the poodle? Pretty good. See you next week. That's stupid. <laughs> That's not community. Community is defined by what we see in the Scripture, and what we see in the Scripture in the church of the wilderness is that Moses became much more of a humble man, in fact, the most humblest man on the planet, because he hung with them for 40 years and didn't run. Sometimes he wanted to. I love that. Joshua chapter 14, verse 10. He says to, Caleb says to Joshua, now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses. While Israel moved about, the church in the wilderness moved about in the desert. I love this. I love this. So here I am today. He's a hero. He's a hero for God. Not just because he's an individual with robust personality. He understood what mattered. I love when I find somebody in a church, how long you've been there, 43 years. Here I am today. You think there was no conflict in 43 years? Oh, come on. There's endurance, that's, that, that, a, a skin that needs to grow th thicker. And if we can't grow thicker, then we're going to be all over the map, leaving and going and going and leaving and coming and going, blah, blah, blah. And we can't accomplish, listen carefully, the Super Bowl. We can do the Pro Bowl, but I'm not on the planet, I don't know about you, to play tag football. I want to have a little bloody knee here and there, a little, a little bloody knuckle, a little red zone with people. That's how you know you're in love. You have arguments. You know, you know the young couple says, we've never had a fight. You're liars. <laughs> Oh, 
So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm as strong today as the day that Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I won then because I didn't let people get under my skin. I'm still here to fight for what God has put in our way. I love that. And there is a reward for it as well. When we look at discipleship, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, commit things to faithful men. When they've been faithful, then you say, hey, we can take the elevator up to the next level. This is true. You remember when those, uh, Christ gave uh, a story where he said, hey, there's a manager. He gave certain things to certain people, and they came back, and they multiplied it, and they came before the one that multiplied lot, came before the, you know, the master in this picture of the, uh, and picture of the Christ, and they gave that, you know, the multiplied thing, and he said, I'm going to make you, I'm going to put you in charge of 10 cities. So watch this in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12. If we endure, we will also reign with him. We're not going to just be floating on clouds. We get to do some uh, an amazing things that no eye has seen, no ears heard. I can't wait to see what place Caleb has in the government of Jesus Christ for eternity. Because he said these words, and I'm still here today. Take inventory and community. Can you say, I'm still here today? What happens when you don't get your way and you have to constrain it and somebody ticks you off? Can you say, I'm still here today? It's not just about you. It's not about the other person. It's about something much, much, much bigger. So I, I, I was in the, uh, so every other week, you know, I do Boys Day. I think you guys know that. I hang out with my boys one-to-one. Uh, I go to this store with, with my youngest one, and I say, hey, you know, pick anything you want. You know what store it is? I've trained you well. It's a dollar store. <laughs> pick anything you want. So we go in. And actually, it's kind of become a fun thing. We just find this, just these wacky things. And you know how you, you get something that says, um, you know, uh, like a piece of clothing that says one size fits all? I mean, for heaven's sakes, have you ever, has that ever worked out for anybody in this room? <laughs> Finally, I find truth, and I found it in the dollar store, okay? I saw this bikini top. It was a dollar. Yes, it was, ladies. It was, a, it was a bikini top. This is going to be okay. For some of you, are like, oh, did he say bikini in church? Is that okay? The people from Pennsylvania are like, do you guys talk about bikinis down here in church? It's crazy church down there in Florida. So I saw this bikini top, and then I, I, I took a picture of it. <laughs> I think. I don't know. Look at the size. One size fits most. I'm like, yes, finally, someone's telling the truth. <laughs> Yes. That's truth, isn't it? <laughs> hey, you know what? That's community. One size never fits all. You're not going to like it all. You're not going to get along with everybody. It fits most of the time. Just that little percentage of time that you have to endure. You want a picture? Let me show you a picture. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. Consider Christ. He endured. He puts up with your junk. He puts up with mine. Considered him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart and run so that you can say, I'm still here today. I'm right here today along with Caleb. Will you be a Caleb? Who knows what 2018 or 19 holds? <laughs> Who knows what it will hold for you in this community? Maybe even in your marriage, maybe in your family. Will you be a Caleb and say, I'm still here? Because you're willing to constrain your choices, your freedom, and endure for the sake of something larger. And that's where we land today, by the way. It'd be, the first, it'd be the final thing I want to just kind of lay out to you to take inventory. First of all, we constrain our freedom, all of our choices. Second of all, we endure with one another. And, and finally, we have this farsightedness, which sometimes is a negative term, but I'm meaning it in the best of terms, that I don't know if you've been on a, a, a long trip before, a really long trip, and, it, and it's painful 
for whatever reason, you're driving a long time, you're flying for a long distance, but somehow we're okay with it because of the destination. You know what I mean? I've been on some trips and I'm like, oh, my back is hurting so much. I mean, I've driven all the way to Tampa. I'm just kidding. (laughs) It doesn't take much anymore, but... (laughs) Uh, no, I've been on long flights and it's like unbearable. I, it was on a trip. I was on a train ride. It was so unbearable. But it was the destination that allowed me to endure. Farsightedness is, you know, you have to wear the cheaters because things up front are fuzzy, but you can still see in a far distance. So when we look at Jesus... <clears throat> and we say, hey, consider him who endured for our sake in Hebrews 12, 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Because he could see past the cross. He could see that once he entered into the cross and absorbing the sins of the world, for those, for all of us human beings who could not rescue ourselves who had a horrible future, Christ stepped in the gap so that we could actually have relationship with him starting now into eternity. And Christ was looking into eternity and he could see all of us with him and we could see all of us with him. He said, I can endure the cross for that. There's so often that we just need to take the little particles that are in front of us, the little details that make us get out of joint with another and make them fuzzy. Like we can't see them, like we're farsighted. We can see clearly where God is taking us, clearly what God wants us to do, and understand that we're all wrecked, we're all fractured, we're all broken, we're all stupid at sometimes, we're all selfish, we're all those things, and we're beautiful too. <laughs> at the same time, and because we say, this is just temporary. This is temporary. God has got a purpose, and we can push through if you can see clearly the joy of, of what's going to happen. Sometimes, even in a community, we say, hey, I don't think I can do that. I feel inadequate. If you just push through that and say, look what could be. Moses didn't think he could do it. Abraham didn't think he could do it. Sarah didn't think it could happen. Mary thought it was amazing she's going to become you know, a virgin giving birth to a baby. Peter didn't think he could walk on water, and, and halfway through he couldn't. You know, I, I mean, all those things, but they pushed through because they saw something much greater. 45 years in that church in the wilderness with all those people griping about not getting enough to eat and where are we going and let's pick a new leader and you know the fussing between you know Moses and then he saw Aaron his own brother you know, turn his back on him all those 45 years how did he do it you know what he had in mind he had that plot of land in mind this is the land that God promised me 45 years ago, and I can push through anything. Watch this, jo- Joshua 14, 12. He says, Caleb says to Joshua, now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me 45 years ago. You yourself, your, uh, Joshua, you yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and the cities were large and fortified But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as I said, and God did, and he was standing there because he had a plot of land that he was yearning for. Our plot of land is not on this earth. Our plot of land is the kingdom of God, the future of where God is moving us. And when we can move through that, those little particles, they become so fuzzy, we begin to endure with another, we can strain ourselves, and all of a sudden, man, we can actually have true community. Take inventory. How are you doing on those things? I check myself and I say, man, how, how is my endurance with other people? Do I just want to walk away or want to hang in? Am I exercising all my freedoms or am I constraining them? Am I caught up? This is a tough one for me. I sometimes get caught up in the little particles and pixels of stress to make them fuzzy so I can see something long. Let me just close with, with this. So I'm in this country last week. I'm with this man, Dr. Raphael Thomas. 
He's probably 65, 70. He is third generation in this country. And I said, tell me a little bit. He was taking me to the airport, so we had two hours to talk. I said, tell me what you do. He said, I'm a pastor, and he organizes other things. But he says, I'm a pastor. And they said, oh, tell me about your church. And automatically, you know, think I'm an American. Big numbers are, you know, scintillating to us. He said, I only have 50 people in my church. I'm like, oh, that's great. That's great. After 30 years, 50 people. But to an American, an American pastor in American pastor circles, we think, well, I guess that didn't go great. What a stupid measurement. It's not God's measurement. I said, what, what kind of church is it? He said, well, we're in the toughest part of the country where most of the drugs are dealt, where all the gangs are. Um, th- there are more murders in that little speck than anywhere in the country. But God called me there for three decades. I can't wait to see Dr. Raphael Thomas Stand before Christ. Some of you guys are fighting for community. Thank you for that. Maybe it's in your home. I'm looking in this room. I see some people that have fought for their marriage. Way to go. Way to go. It matters in the longer picture. It matters in the things that really matter. Let's take inventory as a family. And really measure the things that matter. Let me pray with you. Thank you, Father. For always setting the model, the the example. Thank you for Christ. Who endured the cross because he saw something that was further, much further down the road. The joy of your bigger plan, of your bigger picture. And he was able to, to push through it. God, you know our culture. You know how many millions of choices we have. You know that we critique each other on Facebook and reviews and, and political talk shows. It's just part of our fabric. We become just critics with many choices. Our skin sometimes is thin. You know our frame. So we recognize, God, that left to ourselves, there's no way that we can endure with each other because endurance is not just being tolerant of each other. It's enduring for something greater. You know, left to ourselves, we get caught up in the particles, the details, and miss sight of the bigger picture. So, Father, in this moment, we take inventory. Search us, O God. How is our commitment, our conviction, our constraints, our endurance, our eyesight? And in this moment, those who are willing, we say, God, only through the power of Christ I come, I crucify my constraints, my freedom, my choices, my critic, my critiques. I crucify that for the sake of community. God, I come to you and I crucify if I'm, if I'm thin-skinned, if I tend to be an emotional reactor. Well, God, I, I crucify that. The things, in, whether it's my marriage, my family, my home, my, this church, God, if the pixels have gotten monstrous, God, I crucify them so that you can help me see a bigger picture. There's not a single person in this room without you, Father, that we can accomplish these things and be true community. So here we are in front of you, God. Thank you for enduring with us every day. Thank you that your, your love is long your love is enduring there may be some here today there may be one person that has come to find you God to search for you 
And just the thought that Jesus would endure the cross for us is such a stunning reality. And perhaps today, if you are here looking for God, maybe like for me over 35 years ago, this, this message will just ring true with you. Listen. Christ loves you. He came for you. He's not asking you to behave better in order to have a relationship with God. He understands your behavior, understands your fractures, your sin. That's why he came. He knew you couldn't rescue yourself, and he came for you. He died for you. He took all of your sin and all the penalty that comes with it and absorbed it on the cross. He came back from the dead after dying so that he could distribute to us mysteriously, mind-blowingly, the power of the Holy Spirit. What does this mean for you? We're separated from God. In this moment, you may come to God and say, I, God, I need you. I want a relationship with you. I'm broken. I'm a sinner like everybody else. And instead of depending on myself anymore, God, I'm turning that, I'm turning that direction around. And in this moment, God, I want to give you my allegiance, my heart. My f I want to give you my life. I want to exchange my old life, God, for your new one. Would you come in me? Ignite new life in me. Forgive my sins, God. And come alive in my life. I want a relationship with you. Is that you today? Is that the inventory that God is pointing out today that on all the shelves of your life there's something missing and perhaps that's a relationship with Jesus Christ? Father, for those of us who are Christ followers, thank you, God, for reminding us the power, the value, the meaning of true community. And this is a picture of who you are. So we end this day, Father, as, as we begin. We give thanks because your love endures forever. And we love you for that.